more and more consumers have found a new front door to getting care. What's behind that door? And why does it have a video camera attached to it? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. This episode of Shift Shapers is brought to you by Major League Mindset, dedicated to helping you play bigger. Do you want to become the authority in your market? Would you like to prospect less and sell more? How can you create those long-lasting relationships with clients who don't change advisors every year? We've been there and done that, and we can help you do that too. Click on our Major League Mindset logo on the ShiftShapersOnline.com website for more details about our next Pitching from the Stage program that will help you become the advisor you know you can be. Telemedicine is certainly a field that has caught a lot of people's interest, and it's been expanding over the last few years. And it's starting to get into some other areas that, at the end of the day, may be even more interesting because they've been less accessible to a lot of folks. And don't know anybody who's done more work in the area of telehealth than Kelly Bliss. Kelly is the chief client officer at Teladoc. And she's joining us today to talk about some of those things. But before we get started, I I have a question. Actually, I have two questions. One, what is a chief client officer? And two, how do you get that gig? Right. Yeah. Well, that's a good question. And thanks for having me, David. I appreciate it. So at Teladoc Health, I'm responsible for the client journey. So that how we classify the beginning of that client relationship. So my uh, organization and my remit as the chief client officer begins on the day that a client joins us, you know, through their experiences with Teladoc Health, their growth, their value, you know, the value that they receive as we build that partnership to deliver on our mission to really change the way where consumers are accessing healthcare. But Interestingly enough, my whole career has been in healthcare, but I've experienced it from several different places within the healthcare ecosystem. I live here in uh, Boston, as I believe you do too. So it's relatively easy to get excited about healthcare and perhaps even more specifically healthcare technology. So no joke, I chose my career based on an assessment I took in sixth grade, which illuminated uh, for me how much I enjoy working with people. So this led to a degree in industrial psychology and really a focus on high functioning teams, organizational design, and somewhat of a fascination around shaping organizational norms and bringing concepts from different unrelated industries together. So everything from knowledge management, which is common among practicing healthcare design firms to sort of constructing deliberate organizational cultures. So the journey to chief client officer has been uh, a meandering one, but uh, I couldn't be more excited about being in this industry. Yeah, our careers and our lives are never straight lines, even though some days we imagine them as that. Yeah, and we hope them to be, but it doesn't always pan out that way. <laughs> right, but, but it never worked out that way. It's like John Lennon said, life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. Right, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I know that virtual care is something that's been growing. It's actually expanding. I know my friend Sam Kamar has just come out with his MedWand, which is a device that lets physicians who are engaging in telemedicine gather 
metrics and, and whatnot on their patient rather than just having a conversation and, and looking at them visually. I know there's some other modalities coming to market, but we're not talking so much today about the technical part of it, but as about the growth of it and about its access into mental and behavioral health issues. So let's level set. What's the growth been like in the marketplace and, and how many folks do you guys estimate today have access to this kind of technology? Well, many, and you're absolutely right. The use is growing and the use cases for virtual care is growing. About 65 million adult Americans live in primary care deserts. So for millions of underserved populations, access to virtual care is really their only option in the moment of need. So to reframe that, give you a little bit of context around that growth. So two years ago, we were doing about a million visits a year. Now we're doing about a million visits a quarter. So that growth in terms of the awareness is certainly mounting. And frankly, the landscape has changed so much over the past few years. It's not just telemedicine, right? It's not your traditional telemedicine. Virtual care is really sort of, we call it the great equalizer, meaning it's exciting. It's now understood by consumers, employers, health plans, and governments around the world. And frankly, let me animate that a bit. So back in 2010, my mother was diagnosed with a disease called trigeminal neuralgia. It's also known as actually the suicide disease because the pain is considered among the worst of the human condition and patients suffer severely both physically and emotionally. And it was really before virtual care was as mainstream as it is today. And I reflect on that time as a family and life at that time was just super challenging, time consuming and helping her navigate her care and frankly frustrating. And like most Americans, I don't have a doctor in the family, much less a neurosurgeon who specializes in mapping the brain. But today, the resources that are accessible to a patient like my mother in virtual care environment are tremendously uh, different. They're, they're game changers for someone like her. And perception is shifting. People do still think of virtual care as the acute areas, like you pointed out. It's expanded well beyond the flu, the pink eye, the upper respiratory, and it is so much more. Companies like Teladoc Health and, frankly, many, many others are making advances every day in this space. Virtual care can help to those with significant diagnoses, like my mother, like with trigeminal or cancers, and chronic disease management, behavioral health. And I know behavioral health is of keen interest. It's growing really exponentially. But if you look at a patient more holistically and you take that case of my mother's diagnosis, the access that she could have hair could have had all virtually to support her at that point in her sort of medical journey, sort of she could have had an expert medical review to ensure she was working with the right diagnosis and treatment plan. She could have had concierge level support to help her navigate and find the right specialist for her. In that case, I actually sent a bouquet of flowers to a scheduling nurse to try to get my mother an appointment and have her seen. That's not a great strategy. But she could have had behavioral health support teed up for her to take advantage. She could have had caregiver, which is sort of a three-way appointment so that we as children could have helped her. So I'm just super passionate about touting the benefits of virtual care because we're really just scratching the surface. It really is, uh, the growth is exponential. Well, and, and speaking of that, I mean, I, I know exactly what you said. When we first as an industry started rolling out virtual care, if you will, we were focused on, you know, day-to-day conditions like, the, you know, it's three o'clock in the morning and I've got 103 fever and I don't want to go to the emergency room. And in point of fact, we pitched it that way. Right, absolutely. Which was, as, you know, as an alternative to going to urgent care or an alternative 
to going to, to the emergency room that was both more effective and efficient and cost-effective, certainly, for both the patient and for the plan. But that's now, as you mentioned, that's now starting to expand. And the area that right. we hear, I know, I know there's folks doing nutrition and all kinds of other stuff, but the big area you touched on earlier is mental health. Right. Why is that such a big, besides the stigma, which we can talk about in a moment, yeah. why is that such a big problem? I and mean, aren't there mental health professionals available in the private, you know, nose to nose world? Well, there are and there aren't. So for behavioral health in particular, virtual care can really address the obstacles. And they really, I think they bucket in sort of four areas. First is accessibility. So think about the rural communities. You know, like I said before, 65 million adult Americans live in a primary care desert. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services says 96 million Americans live in areas where there's a shortage of mental health providers. I mean, that number is staggering. And so access to provide a mental health provider in your area is very difficult. So rural uh, residents often travel long distances to receive services. They're less likely to be insured for mental service, mental health services, and less likely to recognize an illness. And so accessibility is an issue. Availability of mental health professionals, more likely in urban centers. So for example, Medicaid patients the emergency room is often their only choice given for a PCP, and psychiatrists are among the least likely professionals to accept Medicaid. So only 35% of psychiatrists will accept patients using Medicaid. So that's certainly a concern for an entire block of uh, Medicare and Medicaid uh, accessible patients. And then, of course, there's the stigma, right? There's the, the acceptability of receiving mental health care. And there are barriers to care associated with the stigma. We're seeing the uptick in penetration to young male adults is really amazing because we're starting to see access to those individuals and and identifying ways that we can help them earlier in their condition, help them achieve a diagnosis and achieve care earlier in that, in that process. And now, a word from our sponsor. Let's get serious. Are you tired of watching those other advisors in your market snapping up the primo relationships and wondering what their secret is? Well, time to get your bubble burst. There is no secret. What do they know that you need to know? They know how to create engagement, relationships, and authority, and now you can too. Our Pitching from the Stage course has already helped advisors learn how to hone their messaging in a way that resonates with the clients they want, and we can help you do that too. Keith took the class and said, Thanks and kudos to David and Andy. They've been enormously helpful in steering me in the right direction and providing tips, guidelines, and ideas for public speaking. Carol said, I wanted to get myself more at ease with doing presentations, and this course was a great way to build my confidence. This is definitely a course you want to take. Well, now you can join Keith, Carol, and all the others who've gained the confidence, competence, and course of action they need to become the authority who can pitch to many prospects all at the same time. Our next four-week class begins on September 18th, and there's still room for a few more attendees. For more information, or to sign up, just click the Major League Mindset logo at shiftshapersonline.com. And now, back to our conversation. So how does telehealth help people break through that stigma? Is it because it's more private and that privacy is more controllable? Absolutely. And so, well, what therapists are telling us is that sometimes, as you can appreciate, people are afraid to park their car in front of the offices. 
if you think about that scenario and you think about a really small town or a rural environment, you know, we've had several cases where we had one, one case where a police sergeant was located in, in Washington state. He sought out help confidentially for PTSD from a provider who was located thousands of miles away in Miami. And that gave him a layer of comfort to be able to actually access the care because he didn't feel as though in his small community, people would otherwise be, you know, judging him or seeing him access care. And so we are absolutely seeing virtual care help break those stigma barriers. You know, PTSD patients are inside closets with their door shuts, talking to therapists for the first time. We had a case in Canada where we had a young woman who was really struggling and was and got had gotten to the point with her illness that she was homebound and she found herself unable to really go to work to really experience daily life activities and she was on long-term disability and was really struggling and with through virtual care we can actually meet her in her home and she started therapy using an iPad in her living room on her couch. And she got to the point with some coaching and some interventions where she was practicing the art and getting better and being able to actually um, envision herself getting out of the house. We brought that woman from the point of really despair out into and actually returned to full-time work. And she's doing tremendous. So we see these cases where, you know, the traditional healthcare system and behavioral health tools just aren't accessing patients where they need that, um, where they need to be. And, and, and stigma is certainly one of, one of many barriers. So it appears that it's both efficient and effective. And I know beyond, beyond just these areas, lots of advisors say that there's always confusion among employees about their benefits and about accessing care. And, and indeed, the, a recent study from Kaiser Family Foundation showed an abysmally low rate of healthcare literacy. Is there something that virtual care can help with in this regard? Well, what we're talking about today is how virtual care can really tackle more holistically mind and body, right? More looking at the patient a little bit more from what we call a virtual first experience. And so think about an approach that provides sort of the much needed alternative to alleviate the pressures of the current you know, healthcare ecosystem, right? That, that va- brings value to the constituents, be it patient, provider, health plan. And it's a powerful way for members and employers to manage healthcare costs. So the virtual care, virtual first strategy is transforming how people access healthcare. And we like to talk about it as the front door of healthcare. And it only becomes a reality if, if sort of three primary pillars are there. Consumers need to be using it. Right. We've certainly seen, we've made headway there. There is mainstream adoption of virtual care in the past. It's certainly past the point of inevitability. One of our board members, Dr. Mark Smith, uh, quotes an idea where there's these four stages of innovation. I'm sure you've heard crazy, 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 and then obvious. Right. And as you touted before, we used to pitch, you know, really coughs and colds and those sort of things were the, the ideal state for uh, conditions for virtual care. And what we got back was, is that legal? <laughs> and now it's just so obvious, right? We're at this point where starting to see the opportunities that exist in virtual care is, is uh, palpable. Um, so you have to think about how to engage those members on their terms, not on traditional healthcare delivery terms um, and how they want to be engaged or, or it will fail. 
Well, there's also a lot of talk around the pricing of this, not not to be crass, but at the end of the day, somebody's got to pay for all of this medical care. Absolutely. Is right. virtual care delivering better value and better quality, or is it just an additional cost because it's just the front door and then people end up seeing the same physicians anyway? What's your research showing? You're absolutely right. And it, and it needs to be of both exceptional quality and care. Oliver Wyman actually just put out a survey yesterday that published the 2030 predictions report that stated that overwhelmingly leaders in healthcare thought that innovation by tech companies focused on value and consumer experience were going to spark the shift. So there is, there's actually an ad campaign out there out right now. I think it's for network reliability or, or something like that. And it sort of touts just okay is not okay. I don't know if you've heard it. Mm-hmm. It sort of features a series of consumer interactions that are, yeah, just okay. It's pretty funny, especially as it makes me laugh, especially there's, there's a guy in a chair getting a tattoo and the artist basically says, yeah, I'm all right. <laughs> and so just okay in virtual care is simply unacceptable right? My fear is that there's going to be a rush in, fa- in a fast-growing segment like this, that there'll be entrants into uh, telehealth or telemedicine uh, that are not clinically founded or focused on, and they would be detrimental to our, our segment, but there has to be value. There has to be clinical depth. And you're absolutely right. There is a lot of work being done around making sure that virtual care is actually providing that value. It's a lower cost of care and it's a more convenient one. It's, you know, as far as we're concerned, it's a no brainer. And and our, our clients are saying that too. You know, they're starting to see the value of no sea of point solutions in this space to really sort of start to drive a single point solution to drive their members to access virtual care as a front door. Well, it's, it's also great for companies that don't have the facilities or the financial wherewithal to create on-site clinics or near-site clinics. It's a great kind of middle stop, and I, I think that's important. But we've got about three minutes left, and I wanted to ask you, you know, it, it's almost the dreaded open enrollment season uh, to the extent that we have one. It seems it's getting more year-round, but what should advisors understand about adding virtual care to their clients' benefit packages? What are the things they should look for? What's important? Yep. Great question. I think at some point, clients need to be starting to think about the virtual and virtual care is going to at some point be dropped, right? We're really moving towards this as a core element of care. And so most of the decisions are being made right now for either 1-1, and if it's a it's a large account, we're even talking about 1-1-20-21, but they don't have to be tied to open enrollment. And many of the most successful launches that we've seen are actually off cycle, so they get a bit more attention. You can get sort of the mind share of the member at that time. But I think some of the things to be thinking about are it's critically important that members are using them. And what we're seeing is when clients centralize their offering, their virtual care offerings in a way that has a single point of entry, we're seeing a lot more engagement of that member. I mean, I think you have the benefit of the tailwind of, you know, we can market and and drive engagement and awareness towards a single solution. I think that's a really important factor. And I think secondarily is it's a remarkable cost savings. Uh, and I, there's tremendous value that both the member receives, but as a, as a former uh, benefits practitioner and HR practitioner, many times I'm looking at how am I going to drive, you know, additional services to my membership at a lower cost. And, and certainly this is a real tremendous vehicle for that. 
And that's a great place to end our conversation for today. Kelly Bliss, Chief Client Officer at Teladoc. Kelly, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with our audience. Thanks so much, David. I appreciate you having me on. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Shift Shapers Strategies and may not be reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without our express written permission. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved.